Hello and a very warm welcome to a new episode of World Build, brought to you by World Architecture News from Alison and Nav. In today's episode, we speak to Richard Centerleila, who has 36 years experience as a landscape architect and urban planner at EDSA. He's been involved in developing the firm's presence in a variety of geographic markets and talks about his experiences, the importance of planning for climate change and ensuring projects are successfully future-proofed. So welcome this afternoon, Richard. Thank you very much for taking the time to join us. First question really is a very basic one. How do you define landscape architecture? Oh, that's a good question, Alison. We're really looking at the way a project is designed and planned um, and how it really affects the land and the environment. Uh, Site design is a very important part of a project, how the project sits on the land, how it affects the natural resources that you're developing. I think you know, what we try to look at is a project very holistically and, you know, not only how it fits in the environment, but also how it fits into the culture and the history of the place where it's being developed as well. Since our our practice is international, uh, we have to be very concerned with, with that aspect as well. And from our research, I can see you've worked in the US, China, Italy and the Middle East. I imagine these are very different environments to work in with their own challenges. How does your approach vary? Well, each sort of country or region has a different understanding of landscape architecture, the way they look at it. So, for instance, in Europe, we might be called urbanists and involved with designing outdoor spaces whether it's an urban context or a greenfield, more you know, rural context. In China, it's definitely um, two different aspects, you know, large-scale land planning where we might be looking at thousands of acres at a time on you know, where all the, all the project elements are being located, the circulation, the, the land uses. And then on the micro-scale side, um, you know, site design and landscape architecture, hardscape, planting, lighting, design. Um, so in the United States, um, you know, it runs the gamut from being a, a site designer, urban parks, resorts, uh, residential community planning. It depends on the scale. And, you know, every place you go in the world, they have a different idea of what a landscape architect is. And most of the times we have to educate whoever we're working with on, on what we really do. And do you see any global trends that are common to all the projects you're involved in? Is there an increasing awareness of the importance of the environment do you find? Yeah, I, I think, you know, obviously with climate change uh, on the forefront of everybody's mind right now, uh, you know, everybody's understanding the importance of how we use energy um, and how we have to make our projects more resilient uh, based on climate changes. It's really important that most of our projects around the world really are starting, you know, to pay attention to how to design and develop more sustainably. You know, for instance, sea level rise is very important on a lot of our projects because we do a lot of coastal work. So we're doing a project in Saudi Arabia uh, right now on an island in the Red Sea. And, you know, all the development there is very conscious of what the sea level is going to be 50 years from now. So buildings are are set higher above uh, sea level. We have to take precautions on setbacks from the coastline. 
and things like that. So it's, it's happening around the world. It's happening, you know, any coastal environment is, is paying attention to it. Now, we, we just did a great project in Miami, uh, early concepts, but in, in Biscayne Bay, where the Army Corps is proposing a, um, a concrete wall about 20 feet high to protect property around Biscayne Bay, uh, together with a developer who has a, an interest in, in his properties in Biscayne Bay and um, engineering firms, we've proposed an alternative solution to a 20-foot high uh, barrier wall, which is more natural berming and um, introducing mangroves to the environment. And so it's a more naturalized solution, which can also be utilized as a public park around uh, much of the shoreline uh, where the wall was being proposed at one point. So we're hoping that moves forward in, in a more sensitive way and it's ideas like these that, you know, is they're important to really explore and not just take it for granted that there's only one solution to a problem. And do you find developers have an awareness of the issues or is your role as much an educator as perhaps a designer in some instances when it comes to climate change and the potential impact that this is going to have? I think it's both. I mean, it's so important to a developer these days because they want their projects to last. Uh, They want their projects to be protected. They're spending a lot of money. So they are really um, also taking the lead. Obviously, on the technical side, they've hired a lot of experts and we support the teams that they've put together. So there might be research on what what needs to happen. And then, you know, it's up to us to design the best way where it will meet the needs of the project and and also perform over time. So it's a collaborative approach that a lot of the developers these days don't need a lot of convincing that this is a real issue, that they need to uh, take the, the right approach and they need to do the right thing. Um, they have an investment to protect and it's very obvious to them the right ways to be able to protect that. That's really positive to hear. As a landscape architect, when are you generally brought into a project? Well, the answer is we're brought in at all different points within a project. But the correct answer would be that we should be brought in at the very beginning. So our involvement runs the gamut from a client has a few thousand acres and wants to develop a land use plan for that project. He's already had a market study done to understand what he should be building, what he should be developing. And then he'll come to a planning firm like EDSA to initiate the initial master plan. And so what we would do, we would be the first team um, on the ground and we would be starting the planning process, understanding site circulation, the natural resources that we want to protect and we don't want to impact the land uses, location of all the uh, product elements within the master plan. And then as the project uh, moves along, The client will start to build a bigger team with engineering to support our our land planning, um, architecture to support the development of the different products. Um, So many times we're in on the very beginning on on larger scale master planning projects. Other times on urban projects, we come in probably after an architect has already done an initial concept plan because of the density and of the project really dictates that the architect has to take the lead and really develop the massing of the architecture, especially in an urban context where the landscape architecture will follow. It's it's different on every project, but the earlier we get involved, the much better we feel the project results are at the end. And how do you find the relationship with architects? I'm, I'm wondering whether you're involved in influencing the architecture design 
do you feel there's enough collaboration there? There's many times where we do impact the design of buildings, whether it be the building massing heights and, you know, the size of the building or, you know, on the ground floor, how the building interacts with the site. You know, the site grading is very important when you're building a project. And, you know, we're usually the lead on the grading of the topography, the buildings to fit. So it's very important to work hand in hand with the architect. Climate comfort is a very important aspect in many locations we work in, if not everywhere, especially in the Middle East and in the warmer climates in Florida. And so that integration of shade that's part of the building and shade that happens to be part of the site that may have an architectural aspect to it all have to work together. It's best if we're collaborating from day one, depending on the size of the architecture firm and and their ego. Some days it's easier and some days you have to work a little bit harder at it. I can imagine that you do. You've been in landscape design for 36 years, so you've obviously been involved in a fair few different projects. How important is it to keep things local when choosing materials? You know, everything is connected on our projects and no matter how small the issue may be. But, you know, for instance, I can take our project that we did in Tuscany, Italy, several years ago. We were taking an old winery site and um, renovating it and adding to it, turned it into um, a hotel and residential project. You know, it's very important, especially on a remote project like we were working on in Tuscany. And I say remote, it's not really remote, but it's an hour and a half from Florence. And it's really important to pay attention to the type of materials that you're choosing. You know, we don't want to be importing stone from India or China when we know that there's beautiful materials available, you know, within 100 miles of the site or within 200 miles of the site that can be brought to the project. And you know, lower the carbon footprint of the project. And, um, you know, Italy has great resources when it comes to landscape. Uh, They have beautiful nurseries in the Pistoia region. And so the plant material was not a problem. But, you know, there's projects around the world that, you know, try to import material from far distances. And we have to be really concerned with you know, trying to utilize local materials as much as we can to lower that carbon footprint and improve sustainability of the project. And that that's just one aspect of it. I had mentioned, you know, the, the climate comfort on another project, many projects in the Middle East. And that's just without climate change, it still would have been an issue. But with climate change, it's just a more important issue. Um, because the the way it, it's working now, uh, places are becoming warmer, and we have to pay attention uh to be sure that our guest and user experience is is, uh, is really a pleasant one. And in terms of water use, which is critical, I'm guessing this is something perhaps you need to look at in terms of future-proofing of projects. I mean, absolutely. So usually the landscape architect is also responsible for irrigation design. Now, we don't do irrigation design in-house, but we work with a lot of consultants that that do that work. But our design work, especially on the planting side, has to work hand in hand with availability of water. For instance, you know, on a large project near Riyadh, we're really greening thousands and thousands of acres. But we have to choose the right plant material that, you know, uses as little water as possible but can still sustain itself. The water on this project in particular is is reuse water. So it's coming from a sewage treatment plant. It's being cleaned up and then uh, distributed through the irrigation system. We have to make sure that the water quality is clean to the right 
uh, level so that it won't harm the plants. And then we have a limited amount of water. It's not endless. And we have to design our landscape to meet a certain availability of water. So for instance, palm trees, which you see all over the Middle East, you know, they take more water usage than uh, certain canopy trees. So the landscape's going to tend to be more canopy trees and less palms if we're trying to save more water. Um, so there's some important decisions and they have to happen early in the design process. If you get too far down the road and you sell an idea to a client and then you can't achieve that technically, then you're in a lot of trouble. So we try to address those technical issues very early on in concept design so they don't become a problem uh, further down the road. And how vital is it to do thorough research into the areas you will be working in? Yeah, I think that's an important part of our overall process is, um, you know, we may not live in these countries, but we visit often. We spend time there not only to look at the property that we're working on and understand the nuances of the property. For instance, the project outside of Riyadh I was talking about has a whole escarpment running through it that's 200 meters tall. We're working on part of the land is at the bottom of the escarpment and the other part of the land is at the top of the escarpment. So, I mean, the landforms there are, they're amazing. And we have to really be cognizant of the land that we're working with. The drainage patterns on that land are very important. So if we don't get out there, we can understand all the desktop data that we we have, but Unless you're out there on site and you really see how the site really functions and really works and you're really not doing your job correctly. And then our research is very important on the cultural side and the historical side to really understand where we're working, especially in a place like uh, Saudi Arabia. You know, it's even important in places we're more familiar with, like in uh, the project I talked about in Italy, they have a, a keen sense of pride. In addition, the project was in a UNESCO World Heritage Site, so there's certain things that are protected, and you have to really understand that piece of the culture to do your job the right way. And looking at healthy communities now, can you start by telling us what makes a healthy community? I think, you know, when you talk about a healthy community, there's a number of aspects. The first thing that comes into mind is the connectivity of the community and those open spaces really how they contribute to the connectivity of a community, whether it's an urban community like here around the inner harbor at Baltimore that I'm looking out at right now, how the plazas and public spaces all link together to form a cohesive community, how the parks and the streets perform to connect that community, how the trail systems unite the community together. You know, that connectivity is really important part of a healthy community. And what are some of the challenges you face trying to create a healthy community? Well, you know, especially in an urban context, it comes down to funding that uh, is one of the big challenges. To redevelop open spaces, to design high quality open spaces, uh, obviously uh, the municipalities have to budget for that. So oftentimes uh, the challenges are funding. And obviously since the pandemic hit and we've had lockdowns, there's been a lot more importance and emphasis put on being outdoors. What can be done to make these outdoor spaces more healthy for people? Yeah, I I think really paying attention to how the spaces are used and the user experience, um, whether it's an outdoor dining space uh, for a restaurant that really needs it to survive, the arrangements of seating in an outdoor urban space or in a park is important. You know, we want to be more inclusive in our offerings when when we 
design. But, you know, just the availability alone of open space that's designed to be used and enjoyed. I think you're seeing a new a new way we're looking at urban streets and trying to lessen the impact of the cars and really play up the importance of providing for the pedestrian corridors in the public realm. So that that's happening a lot more these days with, you know, the design of urban streets trying to mitigate the car a little bit and uh, and make it more enjoyable for the uh, pedestrian. And on our Women Build podcast, we spoke to urbanist Mia Lira from Studio MLA, who was an advocate for putting roads on diets in California. How difficult is it to introduce retrofit schemes to improve community health and what needs to be considered? First off, I want to say that Mia is just an, an incredible uh, landscape architect. She's at the forefront of the profession and, and she's very outspoken and really carries the banner well for landscape architecture. And and she's a good friend and, um, and somebody that I look up to in the profession. But she's absolutely right. Um, we do need to put roads on diets and we can we can show uh, projects that we've done um, around the country where it's happened successfully. And in Fort Lauderdale, where our headquarters is, you know, on Las Olas Boulevard is a, is a great example where it's a main shopping district in Fort Lauderdale that had two lanes in each direction. And um, just by the the fact that we allowed parking at, after a certain time of day in the afternoon on the outer two lanes. And now I think it's permanently on the outer two lanes in reducing four lanes to two lanes and introducing parking in front of the storefronts. It enabled the shopkeepers to feel safe about outdoor dining and it, it made the businesses a lot more accessible in the area. In Savannah, we just did a project where we've re-looked at, at uh, many of the historic streets in Savannah and, and um, they're implementing the, that project right now. Reducing the amount of space dedicated to cars and improving the amount of space for pedestrians and the guests that you know are using the businesses in the area. Um, here in Baltimore, they've rethought much of the drainage along the main roadway here along the Harbor Pratt Street, where anytime a, a business that faces uh, Pratt Street is, is being redeveloped, they're implementing um, bioswales in front of those plazas to capture the stormwater to clean it before it goes into the bay. It's very, very important, you know, uh, water quality here in Baltimore. Um, they're trying to clean up the inner harbor. And it's one small step that helps in that process of making sure that the harbor is clean. So you asked the question on how difficult it is. I think it, it can be very easy if everybody buys in. That's the politicians, the local business owners, and the general public. I think um, the ideas are the way people want to live today. The solutions are there. It's just everybody has to buy in and work together to achieve those solutions. So you touched on parking, but there's also a new rise in technology, such as electric charging points for cars. How far ahead are you looking when you're planning and designing in terms of new technology emerging? Many of our projects are starting to get into the new technologies, sort of the smart city technologies where charging stations for automobiles, lighting controls, signage controls, you know, a big part of some of the work that we do both on the resort side and in an urban context, is um, mobility. And mobility is, is going to be playing such an important role. Well, technology is playing an important role in mobility and how it's changing mobility and how people are getting around, whether it's getting a, a metro uh, around the city or 
autonomous vehicles. Uh, we have projects around the world that are starting to look at how you get uh, groups of guests from one part of the project to the other in ways that you know we haven't utilized before. So whether it's mass transit, autonomous mass transit, there's all kinds of um, ideas that are being explored. But mobility is really going to be a big impact um, on most of our projects because what we talked about is you know trying to put streets on diets. That's going to really help. Uh, these new modes of mobility are really going to help promote that idea that there needs to be less space for automobiles and more space for pedestrians. So I think both of those ideas go hand in hand. And finally, looking well into the future, what do you see for landscape architecture in 2050? What are going to be the needs? Well, that's like um, that's like 30 years away. I think that if we continue to look at how landscape architects could um, help lead projects from the very beginning, there's a lot of um, ideas that we bring to a project that that I think sometimes might be overlooked, but it's how we deal with natural resources, how we get the project to fit the environment the best way. It's not that we have the only ideas. There's usually very large design teams that all work together. The earlier those design teams can come together and coalesce around the important issues and the important ideas, I think uh, the better off we'll be. So, you know, by 2050, that's pretty far out in the future. Maybe, uh, Maybe we'll be talking about developing other planets by then. But um, I just think the earlier, the better uh, that we all work together to solve the problems that we need to overcome. Thank you. I think that's a very good answer. And the thought of developing other planets is quite something, isn't it? We welcome your feedback on the podcast. So please aim all your comments to waneditorial at haymarket.com. You can listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. So follow Download and join us.